0: and he said they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus having a favorable response to the to the crowd his heart's desire was for them to have a shepherd to be sheep with a shepherd to respond favorably to his teaching and the call was to repent and to believe to come to him in faith. So the question becomes one as like as then so now kind of a thing, right? I mean, we are just a little bit removed from this context ourselves. So, as then, so now, will those of us who are listening to Jesus and the preaching of the gospel, will we we believe him? Will, Will we obey the commands that we find within the teaching of the word of God? Will we repent? Will we believe? Charles Spurgeon said, this matter is worthy of earnest heed. If you can hear anything, hear this truth. This call to attention needs to be off-repeated. Through the hearing ear, the divine blessing comes to the soul. Therefore, hear, and your soul shall live. Again, as then, so now. And this is why I'm off to say if you've never repented of your sins before a holy God and abandoned all else to follow Jesus alone, finding in Him your only hope, finding in Him your only true Savior, seeing in Him a treasure of great worth and value, willing to sell everything you have in order to purchase that field in which The pearl of great price was buried. If Jesus has not become that treasure to you, today perhaps is a day of salvation. And I would encourage you as we go through this passage to not worry about what anyone else might be thinking. You listen the passage we're going to be looking at this morning coming off of what Jesus said regarding John the Baptist, and we're going to see that he gives a warning of impending judgment impending eternal judgment as a result of being indifferent to his teaching, of being continually being indifferent and of unbelieving the teaching that John demonstrated and that Jesus himself demonstrated. So there's, it's a warning passage that Jesus gives to all of us this morning. So if you've yet to perhaps genuinely find salvation in Christ alone, do so today. Remember these words of Christ we look back at in chapter 10. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Today Jesus in, his, in this warning passage is going to talk about hell. There's some within our culture today that say that hell isn't a real place, that hell is not a real place of eternal existence and judgment. That those who die in unbelief they just cease to exist for all eternity. Well, if that's true, then Jesus be found a liar, because Jesus talked often about hell, Hades, and then even we see a, a place where the second death is, is the lake of fire. And so the warning passage that Jesus gives to this audience to whom he was teaching today, we need to take seriously as well, both for ourselves and for those to whom we minister. We're going to see in our passage this morning some very sobering words. We need to make certain that we have ears to hear, that each person here this morning, that we have ears to hear what Jesus is saying in his word this morning and that we not leave this place this morning perhaps being indifferent or perhaps yet still unbelieving in what he says. Let's look at verse 16 and 17 together. Matthew eleven, sixteen 16 and 17 Jesus says, but to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Now we need to keep in mind that by the time Jesus is saying these words, he has already established Very solidly, his messianic credentials beyond reasonable questioning. Most of the Jewish people disbelieving by this time had ample opportunity to hear of the words and the works of Jesus Christ and to respond favorably to the call of repentance and faith. I'm sure they appreciated the signs, the wonders, the miracles. I'm sure that those family members who had people in their family or their neighbors or their friends who who were beneficiaries of his miraculous powers, I'm sure that they were appreciative. They perhaps tipped their hat to this miracle man. But they failed to heed, to truly hear the message, the need of repentance before God and faith for entrance into the coming kingdom that Jesus said is now at hand. Which, in saying this, also means that they did not believe in John the Baptist as a forerunner. They did not believe in John the Baptist as an Elijah figure who was to precede the coming of Messiah. So here in verse 16, this first question, it says, um, But to what shall I compare this generation? Jesus is, in essence, saying, How can I illustrate the response of this generation to the teachings that Jesus and John the Baptist have been presenting to them? To what would their response to the teaching of Jesus and John compare? And then Jesus proceeds to make the comparison. And in making the comparison, we're going to see that Jesus uses very familiar social events within that culture. One, ones that were... In, clearly intended uh, for joyous occasions and one for great mourning. So the, the emotional value that Jesus places in these two examples that he's going to give makes the comparison unavoidable. It makes it very plain, both of which these comparisons that he makes are uh, compared, as we're going to see, to this generation of unbelieving Israel. Jesus says that this generation of Jewish people, their response to his teaching and John's teaching looks like this. Look at verse 16 again. It's like children sitting in the marketplaces, he said. Their response to the teaching ministry of John and Jesus is like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children and say, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. Now, you see this word here, um, marketplaces. It's a very common place within the social stratus of the culture in that time. It comes from uh, this Greek word that's referencing a commercial center with a number of places for doing business, market, market marketplace, business center. In other words, it's, it's a place that was central to these towns and villages that Jesus and his disciples were going to and were preaching, where people would go and do business. It's kind of, I, I kind of think of it as akin to our marketplace, our uh, farmer's markets today, places where people go to set, set up stalls, set up tents and booths from which they sell their wares, their goods. And as we see here in this text, that children were oftentimes and probably always attending with their parents in this endeavor. It was somewhat of the family business. They went to trade and sell their goods. And as the parents were there at work, the children would oftentimes get together and play. And so Jesus, using this context in which to compare this generation and the response to his and John's teaching... Look again, notice what he says. He says that that this generation's response to the teaching ministry of John and Jesus is like the children sitting in the marketplaces calling out to the other children, saying, verse 17, we played the flute for you, you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. So we see that some of the children sitting in the marketplace called out to other children in the marketplace, and what they said to them is essentially this. Why didn't you want to play with us? We played the flute for you, but you were unwilling to dance. Why? We sang the dirge. You didn't want to play that game. We we played another game. We, We sang a dirge, but you did not want to mourn. Why were you so unwilling to want to play with us? In both cases, the children who were called out to did not respond in a way that was appropriate and or expected by the other children there in the marketplace. They instead responded with disinterest. No interest. A dullness to the call to come dance or come and mourn. Disinterest. Jesus says that's what this generation and their response to the teaching of John the Baptist and Jesus is compared to. Relative to everything that was happening in the ministries of John the Baptist and in the ministry of Jesus, as they preached the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus even performed many miracles, all the while both calling this generation to repent. And they responded like those disinterested children in the marketplace. Disinterested might perhaps be another way of describing uh, unbelief. And so Jesus in the next two verses is going to then apply these illustrations, these comparisons to both himself and John. Notice how he goes on and does this. Look at verse 18 and 19. He said, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon." Verse 19, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. John the Forerunner came as one neither eating nor drinking, as one that lived a very simple and ascetic lifestyle. Locusts and wild honey was the staple of his diet preaching a baptism of repentance and saying that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Yet here we see from Jesus that ultimately, and this is the first time we see this with regard to John, that John's message was largely ignored. Uh, We might say that the people eventually became disinterested in John. And it would seem that perhaps they especially became disinterested in John after John was put in prison, right? How could he... (laughs) How could he be the one that people are perhaps saying he is? He just got put in Herod's prison, disinterested, can't be true. And eventually, Jesus makes clear here that they even came to refer to John as one under demon possession. That's how bad it got. Yet, in light of what the Scriptures had said to the Jewish people as the Scriptures called out to them with the voices of the prophets, We might even think of, as in marketplaces, regarding John, no interest. John's ministry sang a dirge, called for repentance. They did not mourn. Ultimately, they became disinterested, unbelieving in John and his preaching. And likewise, they did the same with Jesus. We see this clearly in verse 19. They did the same thing. Notice in verse 19 again, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, John came eating and drinking, and they said that he has a demon. Jesus comes eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man. Some people just can't be pleased. Have you noticed that in life? They're going to criticize you if you go this way. They're going to criticize you if you go that way. He came eating and drinking. He's got a demon. He came eating and drinking. He's a gluttonous man. I mean, you just, no matter which way you turn, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And by comparison, Jesus basically lived a normal Jewish life. Socially speaking, he came eating and drinking, unlike John. But of Jesus, they made him out to be a gluttonous man and a drunkard. These children chose to exaggerate Jesus' behavior, his eating and drinking, for the express purpose of making him out to be a sinful person. And not just that, they go on to call him a friend of sinners, which he was. He, He went and he dined with sinners and tax collectors but the difference was was that they never pulled him down to their level he was always calling them up to his level he was always calling them up to repentance and faith they just didn't like jesus these children were disinterested and they were unwilling to dance to christ's flute playing the response of this generation to the ministries of jesus and john the